Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. It's an absolute privilege and honour to be up here again, uh, preaching the word to you guys. And um, the reason why we are going through uh, books of the Bible at City Light is um, uh, expositional teaching, going line by line, precept by precept. Um, we believe that all scripture is... God breathed and profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, rebuking, and that's why we're going through First John. And First John, this series, First John, is it's called Proof of Life because we're uh, you look through First John and there's all these kind of tests to see are you legit, are you a legit Christian or not. So um, today's passage we're going to be reading is in First John uh, chapter two verse is 3 to 11. So if you can open up your Bibles, I'll be reading from the ESV translation, and then we'll get stuck into it, eh? If you have the word, say amen. Amen. Sick. All right, let's do this. And by this we know that we have come to him, and if we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray, eh? Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word, that you've given that to us, that uh, this is all we need to know who you are. Uh, Lord, I pray that you help me unpack your scripture tonight, that my study be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. I pray that what is it not of you, I pray that you rid of, um, um, rid of that from me today. I pray that you speak and not me. I'm just a motivator. I need your spirit, Lord. I pray that you um, make e- preaching easy, Lord Father. I pray that you do a mighty work in us as we listen to your word and are transformed by it. Let us not be just hearers of the word, but effectual doers. I thank you for everything you've done in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cool. Uh, Before we get stuck into things, I want to just do a quick poll, if that's okay. So we're going to do like a hands raised thing here. If I want you to raise your hands if you've heard in just, whether it's in church or outside of church, that you've heard that Christians are the best people around. Anyone? Yeah, we've got a few people, like one, two, three. All right. So that's what we, we're like 50-ish, 40-ish today. So three, that's not bad, right? Um, hands up if you've heard, uh, Christians are okay people. Okay people, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's more like half, that's good. Who's heard Christians are the worst people alive? <laughs> that's the scum of the earth. Yeah, no, no. This is, these are things that we hear, right? These are, these, are real, these are real things that people say. And it's unfortunate that that last one we heard, the Christians are the worst, that's, 
that's tossed about heaps um, in, inside the church and outside of the church, especially in secular society. And you, you would have probably heard, I don't need the church, I have God. I'm a Christian, I don't need church. Right? Which is really kind of weird because by saying that if you're, if you're a Christian and you've got God but you don't need the church but you're still a Christian, does that not make you as bad as the Christians inside the church already? Which is, that's a flawed argument, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't negate the truth, though, that Christians aren't exactly the greatest people around. Um, and we all know of someone or a bunch of people who used to go to church but don't go to church anymore, or who used to be Christians and are no longer Christians. Um, McCrindle Research in 2012 did this thing. They looked at the stats from the ABS and the National Ch- uh, Church Life Survey. Um, and apparently in 2011, 64% of Australians identify Christianity as their religion. It sounds cool, but then if you break down the stats, about one-third of those people count Christianity as like a spirituality thing and not really actually have anything to they don't actually really practice it. Um, and that leaves us with population-wise, 31% of the nation... They don't, they're not very active in their faith or not regularly attending. And 9% of the population, apparently, are active Christians. Um, and th- but those are just stats, and, I feel, and that was from 2011. So if you transport yourself to now, 2017, I, f- I would argue that those stats are probably, they don't play in our favor at all. Um, and uh, anecdotally, you would probably know the church friends, unchurched friends, people who you went to school with, who but you went to Christian school with, and um, they don't have a great impression of the church. Um, and but the thing is, though, if you if you've ever caught up with these people, or out of a concern for their faith, and you ask them well, why why aren't you at a church anymore, why aren't you a Christian anymore, oftentimes it's um, it's rooted in church hurt. It's rooted in church hurt. Um, and there's so much hurt that is done inside the church and in the name of the church. So when we read this passage of Scripture today, um, we, we call ourselves Christians, and this passage asks us some serious questions. And the question, if, you have been, if you've had a long, massive week, going to the fringe and stuff and whatever, um, if you've had a massive week and you can't keep open your eyes for the next 30 minutes, I want you to remember this question. How should we be loving people in the church? If we are the church, how do we love the church? And that's what this text is on about today. Before we get into the text, a bit of recap that Josh Ridley did last week. Uh, He talked about walking in the light, walking openly with God, and talks about acknowledging our sin, confessing our sin, giving our our sin over to God. And then he talked about uh, God... um, giving us Jesus as the propitiation for our sins, which is taking our sin and exchanging us and exchanging his works and his righteousness for our dirty sins. He who knew no sin became sin, and that's such good news to us. But what does that mean now? What does it mean in the church? What does it mean in the context of how do we love people in the church? So let's read through Scripture here. Uh, read through verse three, and by this we know that we have come to. Um, and by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. What does what does know even mean? What knowing is going back to that idea of fellowship, walking in the light, having a relationship with God. 
But this knowing is not just like a, it's not just like a knowledge to know. This, this, this head knowledge is not just something that you just put in your head for, for funsies' sake or for whipping out, just, just nerding out on the, on the Bible. No, this, this knowledge should lead to transformation. It should lead to a life transformation. Um, and if it doesn't affect our attitudes and affections, I don't think you really... That's not really knowing, is it? Um, it's not just intellectual assent. We're not called to intellectual assent. We're not called to cognitive dissonance. We are called to not just know stuff about God, but actually let that stuff change our lives. If we, if we know this stuff about God and it doesn't change our lives, in 1 Timothy 4.2, it calls that a seared conscience. You know what searing is? Like when you sear the end of like a steak and the other end is nice and burnt, that's like, that's like cauterization. That's, that's like conscience right there. That's that searing of that conscience. Right? True knowledge transitions us to transformed lives. Right? But the problem, if we read this verse, and by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments, if we read it out of context, it almost sounds like, okay, if I keep his laws, then that, that's what's going to save me, right? It sounds a little bit legalistic. It sounds like you have to earn your salvation, Andrew. And I'm here to say that is not the case at all. We are saved by grace alone, through, uh, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing we do brings our salvation. Salvation is a work by God and God only, and is a gift freely given to us. But when we look at this, and it says, if we keep his commandments, I, f- I feel like sometimes when we uh, talk about these commandments we talk badly about them a little bit because it kind of makes us... Those commandments... Um, God uses those commandments as like a diagnostic tool. He, to, he uses them to, to show you how sinful you are. Yes, that is true. And that's bad news because it tells us that we aren't as lovely as we think we are. Um, but the other thing about God's commandments is not just a diagnostic tool. It's far more than just that. God is not just a, he's not a killjoy. What he is after is he's after the things that will kill your joy. Right? The law of God outside of grace is death, but the law of God under grace is the path to life. Um, to give you an example of what this, what this kind of means, um, I was talking to my mum uh, a couple of days ago, and apparently as a kid, um, well, if you know me already, I'm quite fidgety. I can, I'm just doing that already. Um, if you, uh, apparently as a kid, I was super fidgety, and I would love like the, the little PowerPoint sockets. So I would always be like tapping the PowerPoint sockets. And apparently, I don't, know, I don't remember because I was like 12 months old, but apparently my mum would come around and slap me on my fingers and, and yell at me and say no to the PowerPoint socket. <laughs> Which sounds really stupid, but it's actually kind of loving, right? If it would be cruel for my mom to like, nah, he'll be right. <laughs> he'd say, oh, that's a fork over there. He'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, he can stick his hands in the power socket. That's fine. no. That would be so cruel of my mom if she was not to put up boundaries for me, right? At least she put those boundaries up for me, so that would lead me to life. And that's the same thing with God's law. God's law is, yes, a diagnostic tool that tells us that we are sinful people, but under grace it is the path to life. In the Old Testament, people were singing about the law and delighting about the law of God in their minds. It is the path to life. But if you, 
if, I, if you go back to that baby example, like if I asked, if I asked myself, um, do you love your parents? I wouldn't be able to articulate it, but I would know it. Right? And that's the same thing with God. Right? If we know his character, if we know who he is, if we know about his glory, about his omnipotence, how much he knows, every, he knows everything, he creates everything, he designed everything, he knows how it works, right? But he, we, if we get to know him but we, um, about his love and his graciousness and know that he's for us and not against us, we will then recognize that the commandments are actually for our joy. Knowing the character of God is intrinsically related to how we see the law of God. And that's why in verse 4 it says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If we truly knew God, we'd keep his commands, because they're for our good. If we're in active rebellion against God, but say we know him, you're actually saying with your actions that you don't really know him. John calls us liars, and the truth is not in us. But the scary thing is that we hear these things, and sometimes we just let it fly over our heads, but I think we need to really take stock and think, um, is this, and be brutally honest with ourselves. Could we be perhaps lying to ourselves a little bit if, this is, if, if we're actively doing what God says we shouldn't be doing, but we say that. You know, we say that we're Christian. We we know God. Um, I think we need to be brutally honest with with ourselves. Are we deceiving ourselves? A question I probably should ask myself a lot, and something I would like to ask you guys as well is: Do you find yourselves trying to justify your actions in front of God when you hear God's word all the time? Do we try to justify? all our actions in front of God when we hear God's word. Because that might be a sign that we are actually deceiving ourselves and we're not, we don't actually know God. Have we settled for fleeting sinful pleasures over the immeasurable worth of the God of the universe? Have we settled for a lie? God is offering himself to us. He is offering unfettered access and and an intimate uh, intimate and personal relationship with God the Father through the giving of His Son and He's given His Spirit to dwell in us as a deposit of what is to come. Nothing is more valuable than that. When we claim to know God, don't just settle at claiming. Instead, be enamored by His love for you. This love, it changes lives and it changes hearts and minds. Don't settle with simply claiming to know God. Be love-struck by Him. Be struck so much by His love that it changes who you are. I find that when I spend time with any, a lot of people, but... um, but if I spend a lot of time with certain people, certain individuals in particular, the more time I spend with them, I start speaking like them. I pick up weird, I pick up weird like little nomenclature things. If you guys know Ben Larkman by any chance, he says ha a lot. I've been doing that a lot lately. Oh, what's crackalackin'? I never used to say that. 
I never used to say that. But because I started spending more and more time with him, I started to pick up his, his character traits. And that's the same thing with God. If we really know God and we, really, and we spend time with him, we can't help but naturally change. Which leads us to verse 5. Um, whoever keep, but whoever keeps his word in, tr- uh, in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now what does it mean that the love of God is perfected? Some of us think that love is this, um, is this emotional thing. It's this thing that, would dwell, uh, that sits in us and then um, you, have to, you have to feel it to, to know it. Um, and that I would put to you that that's a very Roman Greco idea. Um, God's love is, I would argue that it is partly emotional, but it's not simply emotional. To, uh, put, uh, to make God's love just simply emotional, I think you're really missing the point. I think a lot of us as Christians, um, or at least if, if we claim to be Christian, we feel like, I don't know, I don't know if God is real. <laughs> I don't have this experience. I don't have this emotional connection with God. I don't know if God is real. Um, but then some of us try to hype it up and just and base our relationship with God only by emotion and only, only by that experience. Um, and I'm here to say to you, I don't think that's, I don't think that's scriptural. Um, and I know that for sure because um, some of us think that, you know, uh, when it comes to worship, um, we know that God is real because we start crying and we have this emotional experience with God and it's amazing and all the lights are flashing. And, um, but I, I've been guilty of this as well. Like, you know, when the band plays Oceans and then, like, that tone, you get to hit that bridge bit and it's Tony, like, the, the theory tones are going, the lights are, like, really dim, and then, like, the, 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 super, the super attractive female worship leader is like, Spirit, lead me with my... Tr-. Yeah, so that is... Yeah, you, you can't... I, don't, don't lie to me. Don't lie to me, man. This happens. This happens. When, that, when, when she does that, you feel this... <laughs> you feel this, like, this love thing, like, you feel this emotional experience, and I'm like, is, is that really God, or is that just endorphins? I'm not hating endorphins, bro. Endorphins are good. Endo- God made endorphins. He made you to feel e- emotions, right? But I'm not hating on a dope worship set either. Like, it's, I, I love it, like, I love, I love the, um, when we do worship and we raise our hands in the air. Like, raise your hands in, like you're in, in the air like you just don't care. I really don't care. Seriously, just raise them. Right? God calls us to worship Him. Right? He calls us to sing to Him, to shout, of his, glorious, uh, shout his glorious name, to, to make a joyful noise. But if, all your, if, your, if your relationship with God is just an emotional experience, I... I want to put it to you, maybe you're actually missing the point. Maybe you're just giving God your emotions, but you're, you, because that's, it's the easy part. It makes, it's a bit, it makes you feel good, right? All the hard stuff, the life transformation stuff, I don't want to do that. I, I, God deserves more than just our emotional response. He deserves our lives. Um, what's, what response should we have to God's love? And we see this in verse 6. Um, it's not an emotional experience. Um, it says here, whoever says 
he abides in um, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Um, whoever abides, rests, whoever claims the name of Jesus, whoever rests in the finished work of Jesus, right? it says in here that we should walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever abides in Jesus should walk the same way he walked. Don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. He is the prototype upon which our lives should be modelled on. When you truly know Jesus, you cannot help but be like Jesus. But that begs the question, how do we be like Jesus? How do we be like Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked because like, it's in verse 7 to 8 here. Um, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word in which you, that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, if you're, if you're familiar with Scripture, you've heard some of these terms before, and if you're familiar with John's previous letter, um, previous gospel, um, it's, these phrases sound really familiar. Um, and it's familiar because it's actually in John 13, uh, so let's, if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to flip over to John 13. We're not going to read all of it because it's a massive chapter, but if you have time in your, for, for yourself at home, I would really encourage you to read this chapter. It's so edifying. It's so, um, but in terms of the New Commandment, Old Commandment stuff, uh, let's look at verses 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, um, in this, uh, if, 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 if feel free to open, uh, keep open John 13. Um, but in this, uh, John talks about this old commandment, which is this reference to Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 6, which says, "God, love God and love your neighbor." Um, and Jesus reaffirms that in John 13, 34, 35. Um, but the, re- the way he reaffirms it as a new, he reaffirms it as a new commandment. And in, that, in this way, he, the way he stipulates it is that he says to do it just as I have loved you. Um, and this just as I have loved you can be taken in two ways. Um, it can be taken as uh, just as I love you uh, because Jesus has loved me, therefore I will. Or just as I have loved you, Jesus has loved me in this particular way, and therefore I will do it in this particular way. And both views are valid in the context of John 13. Um, but if you read John 13, especially uh, the passages uh, just before and after it, it's a bit crazy to think Jesus would actually say this. Because um, the episode before, um, Jesus announcing this, com- this new commandment, he talks about, he, he washes his disciples' feet. And if you're familiar with this particular event, um, I want you to just, just imagine in your head right now, God, Jesus being God, the second person of the triune, um, triune Godhead, he's the physical image of God, he's the creator of heaven and earth, he has infinite value and worth, yet... He considers that as nothing and stoops down 
and actually disrobes himself and becomes a slave servant to wash people's feet. If you don't know, I'm a, I work as a physio, and feet is nasty, man. Like, feet is <laughs> far out, man. I, I, if, any, if, if any of you comes with like, a feet problem, I ain't touching you. Like, that's just... Uh, uh, true story, this week I had uh, a client came in, and um, I had to touch her feet, and I thought, like, no, nah, that's going to be fine. Feet, I touch feet all the time. But this was, I had to use the Febreze afterwards after work. Uh, there's no way I'm disrobing if I'm going to touch her feet if it smells like that, and I need Febreze to clean up my room afterwards. But touching, to think God is all the, Jesus is all that he is, and then he stoops down and becomes a slave servant to touch and wash people's dirty, nasty feet, that is mad humility. That's insane. No one in their right mind would do that unless you were God. Jesus follows up and says in John uh, 13, um, in 1334, uh, just as I have loved you. He's referencing back to what he just did. Cleaned his disciples' nasty feet half-naked, as a slave servant. And when you think about it as well, in this particular episode, don't even get me started on Judas, man. (laughs) Judas is the guy who betrays Jesus, and Jesus knew that, but he still washed his feet as well. If you knew someone was going to backstab you, would you serve them? No, Jesus knew, he knows everything, and yet he still serves him in this way. We look at that. We look at that, and we think that's degrading. No, that is humility. And then, not to even mention the episode after Jesus announces the new commandment, he talks. To, he talks to Simon Peter, and Peter. Peter bless his soul, seriously, because he denies. He, he goes ahead and denies Jesus, and Jesus knows he's going to do that, and he tells him. He tells him to his face, "You're going to deny me." but I'm still going to die for you. He's still going to die for him. That is the kind of love that Jesus has for his followers, and that's the kind of love that Jesus has for us. He knows how sinful we are, how much we betray him, but he loves us anyway and serves us in ways we cannot imagine. So when it says in 1 John 7 to 8, um, this is new commandment, to love each other like Christ has loved us. He's calling us to love each other with utmost humility. He's calling us to love each other with, without reservation. He calls us to love each other unconditionally, no matter the cost no matter what retribution you get, whether or, whether or not it may or may not be reciprocated and not to expect anything in return, to take up our cross and to lay our lives down. This is love unlike any other. It does not exist outside of Jesus. You cannot find this love outside of Jesus. We, when we love each other like this, imagine 
if we truly actually did this, imagine what community, what, what kind of a church that would be. When we talk about church hurt and stuff, imagine if we were this community that was really based on the love of Jesus, what would that actually look like? That would be amazing. It's incredible because it's not from us. It's from Jesus. We are in fact the light of the world. And when we love each other like this, um, John 35, uh, 13, 35 says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It says in verse 8, um, that the true light is already shining. It says that the true light is already shining and that the darkness is passing away. God's kingdom is, is here. It's coming. Um, Jesus came to establish his kingdom and that's the darkness passing away. Sin and death have no power anymore. The light is already shining, and we have an opportunity to magnify that light, to bring that light into, into full view of everyone around us. And how do we do that? By loving each other like Christ loves us. Loving our brothers and sisters in Christ will magnify his light. Our love for each other are merely reflections of the light of the world, which is Christ. Now, this sounds all like great. We've heard these things before. Um, but there's a problem because there's expectation and then, then, then there's reality. Um, because the reality is we naturally don't want to do this. We naturally don't want to do it because we are selfish human beings. Or perhaps worse, we hate the idea of loving uh, one another, especially when they're ill-deserving of it. Uh, but let's read in uh, verses 9 to 11 in First John again. Um, where is it? Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Um, when we hate in the church, uh, when we claim we have fellowship in the church but we hate people in the church, we truly reveal that we don't actually believe the gospel. Um, if you don't feel the weight when you start to hate on someone at church or in that church community or another Christian, if you don't feel that remorse at all, John says that you don't know the light and you're still in darkness. Essentially, John is calling into doubt, are you even Christian? And those are heavy words. Those are, I don't want, those are words I don't want to hear. But I think they're actually, as, as heavy as they are, they're actually really important words to hear. Um, because First John is full of litmus tests to re reassure whether or not we're in Christ. And trust me, you want to be in Christ. <laughs> if we claim that Christ is, is Lord and Savior and we hate people at church, we're still walking in darkness. Right? We love our sin. We actually 
by hating people in church, we show that we love our sin and we love our sen- own sense of self-righteousness. We love that over God and we deceive ourselves. That's why it says, um, we are, because the darkness has blinded his eyes, we, we're walking around in darkness. And sometimes we don't know if we can actually love people in the church. We don't feel this love for them. Um, for example, um, say there's a conflict in church. You know, because that never happens, right? <laughs> um, you don't feel inclined to love them because of this conflict. Um, should I? I don't know. I don't want to. Uh, it's just so easy to hate. Or betrayal of trust. No one's been hurt in church like that before, right? Um, Being let down by someone. You trust someone with a particular thing and they let you down on that. Our natural tendency is to be offended. Hate is such an easy response. Or perhaps this is the kicker here. Um, I know that we're mostly a young church and there's mostly single people in the church. Um, and re- this is reality. Like, breakups happen in church. I don't think we talk about this in church a lot, but this, it happens. Breakups happen in church. And it happens across every church I know of. Don't name me a church. You can't name me a church that this, happened in, this hasn't happened in. And it's, it's interesting, because if, if you ask the parties involved, if you ask the guy, she's like, nah, bro, she was, she was crazy. And then if you ask the girl, like, damn, she was, he was so lazy, man. Like, the amount of hate that happens after a breakup in a church, it looks no different to the hate that happens outside the church. Should we not be different because we have the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's crazy that when we hear about people talking about others behind their back in church, hating them behind their back, or hating them just straight in front of them, right? if we look at that and then... I can't really reconcile how you could sing to God oceans and then speak about these particular people that you don't like particularly in church the way you do. Because that does not, it's not coherent. And I'm not downplaying hurt in church. Breakups are nasty. Betrayal of trust is nasty. Being let down is nasty. And it's legitimate. Hurt is legitimate. Some of us have been wronged in really, really bad ways. But feeling hurt in church is not new because the church is full of sinful people. It's full of sinful people. But the great thing is we're all sinners and that are saved by grace and are being changed by God. We're not perfect. The church is a hospital for the sick, not a museum of perfect people. I'm like, what did you expect? Church hurt is going to happen. How you deal with it is a matter of the gospel. I hear a lot when I've had chats with people before and with this particular topic and they feel like, I deserve to hate this person though. I feel so entitled. And before I get on my high horse and I shout to them, I'd actually turn myself down and say, like, actually... You know what you really deserve? You know what you're really actually entitled to? You don't know what you're entitled to, man. Because if you got what you're entitled to, 
You would really hate that. What you're entitled to is the holy and just wrath of God. To claim Jesus, but to hate shows that you are truly wicked and that you do not have Jesus in your heart. You don't know Jesus. You don't know what he's really done for you. Hate is so self-righteous. It's a downward spiral. We are proudly ignorant because we think we're always right, and which leads to more hate. Hence why in verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That, my friends, is not freedom. That's being lost. On the flip side of hating, though, um, sometimes we don't love... I feel like hate is a very strong word. Um, but on the flip side, let's look at loving people in the church. Some, um, and we don't, sometimes we find it hard to love some particular people in the church, because not because we despise them or anything like that, but we just don't feel this, this positive attraction to them. Um, and to act out on this, oh, I don't feel this, very, this attraction to you, it makes us feel like a little bit inauthentic, a bit ingen- disingenuous, if you know what I mean. Um, and that's the problem within the church, though. Um, once we start acting this way, we've sacrificed holiness, we've sacrificed becoming like Jesus for authenticity. Right? We don't want to act like Jesus because it, can mean, it inconveniences our self-actualization. That is to say, it inconveniences us being the true us. It's actually really selfish. When you don't want to put up the effort and time to love like Jesus loved. That's actually quite selfish. Um, we think that we must love out of this warm feeling in, like in our gut here. Um, and that's not the case at all. And the last time I preached it, I talked about um, at the end uh, how I find it difficult to love people. And honestly, it's a, it's a struggle I deal with um, every day, uh, partly being a physio. <laughs> because you deal with people, um, but also going, going in the church, experiencing church hurt, and then experiencing people who you clash with, it's, it's really hard. The heart is such a fickle thing. Um, for likable people, most of you are quite likable. Actually, all, sorry, shh, all of you are quite likable. Yeah, I'm just being real, I've been authentic, that's what it is. Um, for likable people, it's easy, right? Uh, but for not so lovable people, for the uh, person that you have less natural chemistry with, or the slightly socially awkward person, um, I feel you because I'm socially awkward too. Um, it's so hard. I, I realise that uh, when it comes to love, uh, one of the things I've kind of realised in the last year or so is that uh, loving people out of my own strength isn't actually loving Jesus like Jesus at all. Jesus doesn't ask us to love out of our own strength. He, he, he calls us to love like he does. Um, me trying to love people, I can do small talk and banter, but that's about it. <laughs> um, that's not, small talk and banter is not laying my life down. Jesus calls 
us to lay our lives down. And I don't feel like I'm the only one in this. If, we, if we're brutally honest, we struggle with this as well. All of Each and every one of us struggles with this, to love like Jesus loves. But the, but the love that God gives and the love that God commands us to give is actually not for ourselves at all. Um, C.S. Lewis describes this agape love in his book, The Four Loves, as the highest level of love known to humanity, a selfless love, a love that is passionately committed to the well-being of others. I don't see anything about you there or receiving something there. It's about others. But that's the thing. We don't want to give out our lives because it's costly. We don't get anything out of it. It's going to cost us time, energy, money, but that's what God is calling us to. He calls us to love like he has loved because he's loved us. When we look at Jesus giving up his life, what he gave so that we could be with him, we cannot help but love like he does. When we experience his love, how can we not want to share that love with others? When we truly know him for all he is, who he is, and what he's done, how could we not want to share that with others? And if it isn't returned to you in church, if it's not returned by your brothers and sisters in Christ, it's okay, because one, we're all being sanctified, we're all growing in our faith, but two, and more importantly, it's okay because we have the love of the Father. That's all we need. That's where our soul satisfaction should be, just in the love of the Father. This love is not simply a feeling. This love that God gives is not of this world. It's nothing like anything in the world. It's selfless, unconditional, and giving. And when the feelings aren't there for people, um, but, you know what Christ is, what, but you know what Christ has already done for you, and we love like this agape love like he tells us to, um, that proves that we are in him. If we know who Jesus is and we love like how he loves, that proves that we are his. And if we don't feel the feels when, when loving people, ask God for the feels. <laughs> I can ask and you will receive. Trust me, like, the more you love the way God has asked you to love, it's called sanctification, it's called growth. God will give you those affections for people. It's happened to me, and it's still happening to me today. This love is radical. Right? It's not just an add-on. It's not conservative in measure. It is lavish. Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. We, the subjects of the King of the Universe, King Jesus, have been served by him in a way we cannot repay. If we look back at that John 13 example, we're just like Judas. We backstab Jesus all the time. We're just like Peter. We constantly deny him. And, but Jesus knew that. It's amazing that Jesus knew that and he still died for me and died for you. 
Um, he knew all of that. He knew all our sins and how much we would fail him, and he still does it anyway. And he went to the cross to exchange his works for mine and for yours. Jesus has generously lavished us with his love. If we claim to know him, we, how can I selfishly say that I can't love people in the church because I don't feel it or it's going to cost me too much? It costs God his son for you. That's not the guilt trip you. But it's not about you. It's about laying your lives down for others and ultimately it's about him. When we abide in the light, we love our brothers and we love our brothers and uh, When we abide in the light, we can love our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what makes his light shine ever more so brightly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your love, your immeasurable grace. Um, it's hard to even fathom the... It's hard to even think about how much you love us, Lord Father, how much you gave up, how much we are not deserving of it. And wretched are we that we would spit on that and claim that we're Christians and hate in the church. I pray that the way we, uh, you change us, Lord Father, and that we stop looking at ourselves but look at you. Let us abide in you. Let us walk like you have walked. I pray that uh, for those who have been hurt in church, that they see who you are, um, that the experiences that they have are not representative of your love for them. I pray that we can be a community that loves like you and be enamored and be struck by your love, Lord Father. You've given us Jesus, um, which is so valuable, but you've also given us him as an example, and I pray that you help us be like him in our everyday lives, in here, in church, and also to the world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.